Grab a cuppa and take a seat. This is the Disability Podcast. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Disability Podcast. This week I'm joined by Claire. In today's episode we are going to be discussing Claire's experiences with primary ovarian insufficiency, also known as POI or early menopause. You mentioned to me before this interview that you were recently diagnosed with POI aged just 25. Could you maybe share a bit more about your diagnosis and how it all came about? Um, Yeah, sure. It was, it came about slightly weirdly actually, um, because in late, I was diagnosed in January 2020 and late in 2019 I was about to turn 25 and I got my letter through from the NHS um you know going and I have no shame in saying this you know ladies we've all got to do it um to go for cervical screening um and also I do think why they have to choose the term smear test for that procedure I always think is I just I think it's just the most horrific term um (laughs) but I thought you know I'll just go get it out the way start as I mean to go on um so I went in and I don't know maybe slightly stupidly I'd assumed that you just go in and you have it done and you leave but my well certainly my doctor she sort of took me in and she sat me down and just asked a little bit about how I was and how I was feeling and if there was anything I was worried about um and she also just quickly asked me about my periods and how they were and I sort of just flippantly without really thinking about it I just sort of said oh yeah I don't really you know don't don't really have those (laughs) you know or I have sort of you know maybe one or two a year and they're not that much of a bother um and I had previously um when I was in my teens and I'm happy to go into more detail about this later I'd been sort of unofficially given a reason for that so I didn't really think much of it Um, and then after the test uh, she said you know can I just quickly take some blood tests from you um, just to make sure everything's all right and so yeah that was sort of how it was how it was picked up Um, and what they do is they take a blood test from you and then they bring you back in six weeks later and take another blood test Um, and what they're looking for is the FSH which is the follicle stimulating hormone Mm -hmm. Um, and if that is significantly raised I think six weeks apart on two different blood tests that is enough to make an accurate diagnosis of the menopause um, alongside low estrogen levels so yeah I mean you know I go in for my first smear test and I come out with a diagnosis for premature menopause it's not really what you expect (laughs) no not at all (laughs) <laughs> I bet you're kind of glad in a way that you attended that smear test and you kind of were able to kind of get that diagnosis in a way but it must have been quite a hard thing to sort of deal with was it because uh, like we've spoken in the past in this podcast about how sometimes diagnoses can like make you feel quite labeled and quite kind of like it brings extra sort of stigma towards things did you kind of find that or was it kind of like nice to realize oh this is why the way things are well I sort of had I mean I just had so many reactions to it you it's a bit like a sort of traffic light system your mind just goes bang 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 it just sort of flips through all the emotions and actually my first thing was she didn't use the word menopause in the diagnosis she used as you mentioned in the introduction she used um primary ovarian insufficiency 
Um, it's also called premature ovarian failure, I think. And so my first reaction was just, what? <laughs> like, I don't, what is that? <laughs> um, and then when she said the word menopause, slightly weirdly, my first reaction was actually laughter um, because I, I'm just a sort of laugh in weird situations kind of person. And I just thought, I genuinely just thought she was joking. And, and then when obviously I've realized she was serious, it was just, yeah, it was just disbelief. It's such an old cliche, I think, that people think, oh yeah, that won't happen to me. Like that only happens to other people, you know? Um, and so when it does happen to you, it does take five seconds for you just to go, whoa, okay. <laughs> and yeah. then the sort of fallout from that about, you know, how you then go on to deal with it. It, it is a very shocking thing to, to find out. Yeah, definitely. And like you, I'd never really heard of POI until you had brought it to my attention. Why do you think there's kind of so little awareness of it? And like how you were saying, there's so many different types of names. Even that is slightly confusing because you're like, oh, well, is it this or is it that kind of thing? Yeah, I think um, I, from what I can remember from what she told me, I think it is all just exactly the same thing. I think they just use different terms you know, like I was saying before, you go for your smear test, which is also your cervical screening, you know, it's, it's exactly the same thing. Um, I think, yeah, I think we just don't really hear that much about it because, well, firstly, it's sort of, you know, very broadly, it comes under the terms of woman's health, which mm -hmm. is just, I mean, I know you've done a fabulous podcast on this before, but, you know, women's health is just sort of brushed under the carpet, like nothing else. And also, you know, menopause, you know, where we are now, women who go through the menopause, who, you know, who naturally are going through the menopause now at the, you know, in quotation marks, natural age, um, are probably in the sort of 50s, you know, in their 50s, late 40s, 50s. And for that generation, you know, they don't really talk about menopause because that was how they were brought up, you know, if you think people you know born in the 70s or whatever they just it just wasn't discussed and it, as far as the premature menopause goes it's so rare I think it affects something like one percent of women it's I think it's one in it's it refers to people who go through it before the age of 40 um, and I think it's about one in a hundred women before 40 one in a thousand women before 30 and one in 10,000 before 20 or something like that um so it is just very rare and people don't really want to talk about women's health, you know? <laughs> no, not at all. Even doctors just don't want to talk about it. And you're like, great, thanks, which isn't good at all. How does it affect your day-to-day -day life? What are the kind of like options for like treatment? And presumably there just isn't really anything. I'm quite lucky at the moment because I... I haven't gone through the menopause. I'm not at the other side of it. Yes, I'm sort of perimenopausal, which is when mm -hmm. you're kind of leading up to it and about to go through it. Because I'm quite early on, um, I'm sort of just figuring out what, you know, I'll I'll feel something or think of something. And, it, you know, I'm sort of figuring out what is part of the menopause. For me, at the moment, I don't really have any physical symptoms. They do say if you're quite young when you go through the menopause, the physical symptoms aren't as bad as when you're older. And so I, you know, I don't have any, I think when you think of the menopause, you think of sort of hot flushes and, you know, all of that sort of thing. I don't have any of that at the moment. But my, what is becoming apparent to me is that it's gonna, I think for me, it's going to be more of a mental 
issue. I didn't quite, I didn't realize before all of this that um, the menopause, you know, it affects you mentally. I was, I'm sort of quite shocked really. I've never been someone who, you know, very fortuitously, I've never really had sort of serious mental health problems until now. And I suddenly, it sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> um, and actually that was one of the things when my doctor was, you know, asking me about symptoms and things, I said, this was 2019 and I'd had a really bad year mentally and for no sort of obvious reason. Um, and now I'm able to label that as, you know, being menopausal, you know, go um, having sort of fogs of, and I don't really use this term lightly, having fogs of depression, um, fogs of anxiety, um is all very much part of the menopause and that has been very shocking to me yeah mm. and for that have you received like support for it and have there been like things put in place in that regard not particularly no um i um i sort of firstly i suppose i've i come from quite a an i was sort of brought up in an environment of other people have it worse than you you mm. know so you sort of you slightly shut up and deal with it in a way I mean that makes it sound very harsh but um you know I'm incredibly lucky I've got a very loving family I've got a very stable family um and I don't you know I was always yeah I was just always taught that other people it's worse for other people you know um so you just have to deal with what you're dealing with and get over it and also I don't really want I just and I have I say this with complete and utter respect and empathy and everything to people who go down all the different routes I think one of the things that is so wonderful at the moment is um in sort of nowadays is that people have choice about how they deal with things and that is so brilliant um my choice personally is to not go down any kind of medication route at the moment uh personally because as I said before I'm just I'm sort of just coming into it so I want to be able to feel I want to be able to feel my way through it to begin with and just work out what is best for me I don't want to sort of rush into something like medication um also personally I just don't really you know I don't even take a paracetamol if I have a headache <laughs> you know I'm just not really much of a medication person um but with total respect to those who are. And actually, I slightly envy those people who can make that decision to have, you know, things like HRT, which mm -hmm. is hormone replacement therapy. People go absolutely straight onto that when they hit the menopause and do it with no shame at all. And I do slightly envy those people. <laughs> um, just, But just for me personally, that's not, I don't think at the moment, that's not an option for me. Like you say, it's very much personal choice, I think. And you do kind of want to feel your way through things especially as it's so kind of like fresh and new you kind of want to get that idea of what might be coming or things like that as well so yeah it's always about personal choice I think did you kind of have you mentioned previously about having sort of like one or two periods a year did you have any other kind of symptoms before receiving your diagnosis that you thought Oh, that's maybe a bit more unusual. No, not really. I mean, apart from, you know, 2019, which was just, it was just a shocking year for me. <laughs> um, and I was just really, I was just really low that year. And um, I think during parts of it, I was a little bit sort of concerned 
I did get a little bit worried in parts and I thought this is I'm feeling so low here and I don't quite know what I'm going to do about it Mm. um that was really shocking but no apart from that I mean really nothing at all which is I think why it was such a huge shock when it came but it made a lot of things you know a lot clearer (laughs) yeah definitely and I've read that it's sometimes something that can run in families do you have like any experience with any of your family members having it or was it just completely unexpected it was it was completely unexpected um they say that um I think it's about 90% of cases they don't know why it happens but there might be a family history um for a lot of people they don't know sort of what I was saying before about the generational thing Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know if there's a family history of it because people just don't talk about it um but I have spoken not to sort of all the women in my family but the closest women in my family and um for me it's a totally it's just it's just a spontaneous thing that's happened I didn't to be honest I didn't really need to ask because I know that a lot of the women in my family have had all their children you know in their 30s so that was a big clue in itself Mm. um (laughs) but um yeah no for me it was just totally it was just one of those random random cards that I've been dealt in life you know (laughs) and in the future I don't know what you personally think about like having children and things like that and see if it's too much information then that's fine but would you consider I read that you can like have IVF with like donor eggs and or like even adopting or have you thought about those kind of future plans because obviously it's really difficult because you're still so young but it must be something you're thinking about because of this diagnosis you've received yeah absolutely and when when you hear you know and when they when they give you that diagnosis they do start throwing out words like fertility and children and you know IVF and I was you know just about to turn well I just turned 25 actually and um I'm you know I'm a sort of serial singleton (laughs) you know I'd never really thought about the family thing and it was just the world of fertility is just a minefield um and but when you're given a diagnosis like that you do slightly suddenly start going down this rabbit hole of oh my gosh what's my options and I've got to act now and um you know all of this sort of thing but I think that is probably just your biological system like taking over your mind as it were you know I don't actually I don't know if I actually want to go down that road, but, um, you know, my, my body's sort of acting for me. <laughs> there are so many options um, and I'm incredibly lucky since I've had the diagnosis. I have I have sort of slightly relocated to another part of the country for, due to my work. Um, and I'm very close to one of the best fertility clinics in the country. Mm-hmm. And I have been in just to sort of confirm the diagnosis and have more tests and things done. And it is a very odd environment when you go in and you see all these couples sitting there um, who are obviously, you know, very sadly, I'm sure for many of them having to go down the road of IVF. And you're sitting there as a single woman and you think, you know, age 25, and you're like, what what am I doing in a fertility clinic? It's a very, very weird thing. But I have to say it is fascinating. I mean, you have, you know, I've had some scans and things done and you know you can see you know they're sort of scanning you and they they turn the monitor around so you can see and you're sort of 
you know, you're sort of looking at your ovaries on a screen. <laughs> it is really, really weird. So I think, I think in terms of, in terms of options in the future, I'm very lucky, I think, that I have had this diagnosis now. And so I know if I do go into a relationship, I have that as a sort of an, an immediate thing, you know, mm. um, I don't have to, I can't imagine what it must be like for people who, you know, go into a relationship and they decide to, you know, settle down together, get married and whatever, and start a family and then discover that they can't. Um, I can't imagine what that must be like. Um, so I, I find, I think I'm very lucky to be in the position that I'm in now and going down, you know, in the future, I think I'm a big believer in just go with what will be. Um, and, you know, if I meet someone and we'd like to adopt or, you know, we'd like to have children using donor eggs, then, you know, that's definitely something I would do. But at the moment, because I'm still young, you know, I'm quite happy where I am at the moment. Um, just, you know, plodding along in life. <laughs> Yeah, it's been quite a, a difficult thing to deal with because obviously you're just then thrust into that world and as you were saying being like a single woman and all of that and then suddenly you're like oh but what do I need to do and just thinking like decisions decisions but not really knowing what necessarily is the right path to take yeah but I think like you're saying like stepping back and sort of just waiting and seeing what happens but also having that diagnosis that you're aware of must kind of help in that instance as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think what's really, really nice is that, you know, a lot of my friends now who are, you know, mid twenties, late twenties are starting to get that sort of, that biological itch, you know, of like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm, I need to meet someone. I need to decide on children and all of this sort of thing. I don't have any of that now. Um, and so, I think that's a very lucky, honestly, a very lucky position to be in because my life is not, my life is not going to be dictated by my biological clock. You know, my biological clock has gone, you know, is in the process of going. So I can just live my life how I want to live my life, you know, and I don't have to worry about that, that ticking, which is, which is a really, I think actually it's quite a spoiling position to be in. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, and uh yeah who knows what will happen <laughs> yeah that actually it kind of it doesn't sound good like that's the wrong word to use but I know like in the past year all I keep thinking about is like my biological clock and I'm like I don't know I just it's all I keep thinking about and I'm single as well and I'm just a bit like it does kind of start dictating your life because you're like when am I going to meet that person and settle down and all of that which is kind of like thrust upon you in a sense by society like this is what you must do but yeah. in a way it's almost more freeing that you can just be like oh well I'll just do whatever I do and can just live my life in a sense yeah absolutely I think it's society I like to think of it a bit like a treadmill you know you're sort of shoved shoved onto this treadmill and it's, you know, you're just dictated to that you do school and then you do college or university or whatever. Um, you get a degree, you meet someone, you get on the property ladder, you get married, you have children. Bang, 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 all in a row. Um, some people, you know, step off that treadmill. There are a lot of people who, you know, make the decision not to have children, which um, I think is just 
an incredible thing. Um, I think they're just incredibly powerful women mm -hmm. um, to make that choice um, and be sort of bold about it. Some people step off the treadmill. Some people are, by whatever reason, sort of pushed off it <laughs> um, by, by their biology, I guess. And, you know, I am now one of those women. And it is quite a strange thing when you come off that sort of path of life and you do have to just think about it a little bit and think, okay, I'm now have to go down a slightly, you know, I now have to go go down a slight a side road. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a diversion in the road, and I I now have to choose which way to go. <laughs> um, and I'm quite a I'm quite a strong, I think, person. I've always been quite a a strong character, and I haven't always played by the rules um, of society but that was a choice for me and this is not a choice. Mm. Um, and that has been a very interesting experience. Yeah, definitely. That must be hard to just have that, that choice taken away because obviously like you're saying, like if women choose to not have children, like I think that's like everyone should have that choice. So to mm. have that choice taken away must feel quite frustrating in a way because you're like, it's not something you ever asked to happen. It's not like you just, decided you didn't want children it was just taken away from you yeah and it, I think it does make you look at women particularly women um you know slightly older women who don't have children in a different way mm. I you know I think it's I don't know the exact number I think it's something like one in four women over 40 don't have children um and I was probably one of those people who would look at them and go oh they've they've made the decision to do their career over their children. And, you know, there is, there is that sort of selfish word that's thrown out, I think, at women who don't have children. But now being in the position that I'm in, I look at those women completely differently because you don't know what anybody's story is and you don't know how they've come to be in that position. And, you know, they could have had a horrific time of it. You know, they could have um, you know, if you look at a woman who doesn't have children, she could have had, you know, she could have gone through multiple miscarriages, multiple IVF cycles. She might have made the choice not to. She might have been told that she can't have children. You know, you you just don't know. Um, and that has been really eye opening for me. And uh, I sort of I sort of I get a little bit emotional when I think about it. because I think of all these women and I'm like, oh, gosh, I hope sort of, <laughs> you know, it's been such a horror it might have been such a horrible journey for you and you sort of your mind goes off in all these directions about what might have happened and, and all of that yeah. sort of thing so um yeah it's very very interesting to me it sounds yeah. in a way that you kind of are less judgmental of women who don't have children now and also like more empathetic because I think when you're in almost like a position of more like privilege and not having any fertility issues and can just do whatever you don't think about those women who might be struggling and like you might have one friend who just isn't having children, but you don't realise the struggle behind closed doors because sometimes there is that taboo of not really talking about things like that because it's almost seen to be like embarrassing in a sense when it shouldn't be. You should be yeah. able to say, I'm actually struggling, but I'm trying to work through it. Yeah, so that must be quite tough. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's something like, I again, I don't know the numbers, but I think it's something like one in eight women has fertility issues um and yeah it is definitely something that's very and I think a lot of us um will know people um mm. not necessarily you know couples might be single women um or single dads you know single fathers you don't know um sorry single men I mean um 
you know, there, there might be lots of, you know, it, there's so many reasons, there's so many reasons. And I think you just have to be aware of people's situations. And it's very easy to make comments like, um, you know, to see a, talk to a single woman or talk to a couple and say, you know, oh, when are you gonna get married? And, you know, oh, you must be thinking about starting a family soon. It's a very natural thing to say, you know, it's sort of a conversation breaker, but you do have to think about it a little bit before you say it, because you don't know what that story is there, you know, um, and you've just got to keep an open mind. And it is a phrase that's slightly blown about a bit too much at the moment, particularly on social media, but I think just be kind because you yeah. don't know, definitely exactly. don't know. Do you know anyone else that has a QI at all? No, I don't. Um, which has been yeah it has been a little bit difficult I think mm. um there is an amazing online sort of community they're sort of Facebook groups and um you know like um discussion threads and things about people who've who've had it um I actually I think I tend to not look at those I am a member of a couple of Facebook groups but I try not to look at them because for me everybody's situation is different and everybody's experience is different and the symptoms that I struggle with are going to be the symptoms that someone else you know someone else might not have those symptoms so I think you I think you need to look and be aware but not sort of inflict that on yourself if that makes any sense yeah it is um yeah it's just there's just so much information out there I think you just have to look sort of slightly introspectively and work out what your symptoms are, you know, and work with that yourself. It is quite a selfish thing to go through. <laughs> yeah. It must be difficult though, because like information overload, sometimes you're just like, it, it's nice to have access to that information, but then it's almost like a double-edged sword because you're like, oh, that's that's too much. And you almost find out certain things you don't necessarily want to know maybe at that time. Um, like moving forward, are you gonna like see a, a consultant about it or how does that kind of work um so at the moment i'm i'm quite happy where i am because um as i said before i'm sort of just i'm just going into it so i'm not mm. i'm just sort of trying to feel my way and things like that um uh there are different treatment things that you can go down you know you can go to your doctor you can get you can be put on hrt um all of that sort of thing um I personally, because what I'm struggling with at the moment is not the physical aspect, but the mental aspect of it. Um, I know myself and I know what works for me to sort of quell that whole, you know, the sort of battle that goes on in your head. So for me, I'm a, I love being, you know, going outdoor for walks. Um, uh, I'm a big reader um, and you know, I love sort of writing. I love music. Music for me is a huge sort of therapy tool. Um, so I know, I mean, going forward, I don't know if I'd really go down the consultant route because I just, yeah, I think I know, I am very lucky. I think I, I know me and I know what works mm. for me. Um, but also I have, and I think this is really important. I have I have a couple of friends who know my situation and are incredibly supportive. And having that person on the end of a WhatsApp or a text or a phone call who knows what you're going through is so 
important. Um, and I've just read a brilliant book actually um, by a lady called Christy Tate called Group. And it's about her, it's slightly different. It's about her situation in, in therapy. But there's this brilliant line in it where she says, you don't need a cure, you need a witness. And I think that is a very important thing to keep in mind for anyone who's going through something like this is that you, you know, you don't necessarily need to be cured. You just need someone to listen to you and to understand what you're going through. Um, that for me is incredibly important, yeah. Massively, having that person that you can talk to about kind of anything and know that you won't have like that judgment and you can just kind of get out how you're feeling is like yeah. such an important thing to do, I think. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you've faced? surrounding this oh that's such a good question mm. um, <laughs> um I think what's very lucky in my situation I think what's lucky is that it's not this is not something that you know it's not something like a, a an illness that you're born with um you sort of come into it so you've had those misconceptions yourself in the past mm. um I think people just think that you're sort of shriveled up and you're barren and you're dry and you're you know um sort of constantly having hot flushes and you know you've got terrible mood swings and all of this sort of thing and yeah I think just different things I think viewing women who've gone through this as being on the shelf, you know, they're, you know, just sort of to be tossed aside by society. But I like to think of it as it's a new chapter, you know, it's a new chapter of my life. It's a whole new book actually, really, <laughs> you know, um, as I was saying before, I don't have to make those decisions that a lot of my, my contemporaries do. So, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be very interesting to see if I do go through any of those sort of physical symptoms, like mm. the, the hot flushes and things, um, just to see if if all those misconceptions are actually correct <laughs> or not. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that the language used surrounding like shriveled up and barren and just all of the like terminology is just so horrible. And yeah. I feel like you would never say things like that about men. Like you wouldn't if a man was like infertile, you wouldn't have such kind of horrible language surrounding it. Yeah. And I don't, I've never really understood why women, you know, yes, we are built to carry and birth children, but I've never really understood why that is all women are seen to be in a lot of situations. And if you think about it, you know, the average, I think the average age of going through the menopause is about 52 or something like that. Um, and if you think about it, you know, we're living now until well into our nineties, you know, once you've gone through the menopause, you actually have almost double the amount of time, you know, in fact, well, more than double the amount of time, um, you know, that you are, you know, in brackets, infertile than, yeah. than you are fertile. Why do we sort of bracket women in this, you know, between the age of, you know 14 and 52 you know that is the only time that a woman is seem to be I don't know sort of seem to be useful yeah <laughs> yeah it's very interesting yeah societal societal expectations and things are very interesting to me and and as you say with men it's like you know because men can technically father children like all the way up to their sort of 80s practically no one bats an eyelid <laughs> you know, which is, yeah, again, it's very interesting to me, I think. Did you 
uh, sort of like have any times when you were sort of suffering with like your lack of identity in a way because I know a lot of women almost like feel like they go through the menopause and they're like they don't feel like how they once were in a sense because it's such a like change within your body or are you kind of viewing it as you just said before about like this new chapter and this is the path you're going down now um I think I think I'm I think I'm lucky in that I have quite a I've always had quite a strong sense of identity yeah absolutely I think well sort of going back a little bit in my teens um you know I struggled with that as a lot of as a lot of people do but as I got into my early 20s my self-confidence definitely got much higher and I think that is hugely um important in where I am now because I don't have any of those you know I I still know what I want to achieve in life and this diagnosis doesn't doesn't set me back in anything um but also for me I think um you know there is actually a huge amount of irony in the position that I'm in now um because I've always been someone who's been very keen on the idea of sort of I wouldn't say an advocate because that's not the right term, but sort of I've always really believed in talking openly about periods. I've actually, you know, pre-diagnosis, I'd written a few little articles for people about, you know, breaking the periods taboo, you know, and now I'm in the position that I'm in now where I don't have them. I think, you know, it is quite funny in a way and you have to laugh. I think, you know, as I said before, when I got my diagnosis, I just laughed. You know, you have to you have to have a sense of humour in situations like this. Um, and I think that comes with being self-confident. Um, mm. Also for me, I, I actually, I said to one of my friends the other day about, I was talking to her about this diagnosis and she said, you know, it's really funny, Claire, because you, when you were younger, you know, I was always seen as like the person with, oh, I can't remember what they call it, when you have like the older head, you know like you've got an old head on young shoulders or whatever yeah. it is he's like it's really funny because mentally you were so much older than all of your contemporaries when you were like 11 or 12 and now that you're 26 you're much older than all of your contemporaries physically too <laughs> so you know things like that just it you you just have to laugh it because if you if you can't laugh I do think sometimes you know if you can't laugh in life um then you're dead <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because that's the only time that you can't laugh at something every situation is has a sense of humor to it um, and that's very important for me now yeah yeah definitely can you think of any like representations you might have seen within the media about like POI at all because I, I was trying to think of some and I honestly can't think of any oh uh <laughs> I think well I think my first answer isn't no I can't yeah. Um, um, there are lots of very powerful I mean thinking of sort of film and television there's a lot of very powerful performances of sort of elderly women mm. um, but I can't I can't remember ever seeing the menopause sort of played out in any kind of media I'd never really thought about that before but yeah no I can't <laughs> I think there's maybe like more of a movement in sort of like books being written and kind of like personal experiences in that regard but often it's like women who are in their like 50s or it's always that older generation and I feel like there isn't really a sort of like voice for the younger generation who might be experiencing this so 
it's quite weird yeah. that it's just I suppose because it's quite a rare thing but even that you're a bit like yeah um I did fun enough when I got the diagnosis and I looked on um you know some like book websites and things just for um books about it and there was like there's like one book on Amazon or something that's to do with premature menopause and even the sort of menopause the sort of natural menopause as it were in brackets natural age menopause even the books that are there about that are sort of like self-help this is how to get through your day what I really want is a book um and I have sort of toyed with the idea of of just writing it myself actually <laughs> um what I really want is the is a book like almost like an, a memoir or an autobiography written by someone at the time that they're going through this um because it's not necessarily about you know oh yes take a good bath and you know get a sort of you know cold flannel on your head or whatever it is it's actually how you deal with everyday situations like um my you know my anxiety I've never really had anxiety or, or anything like that and I still don't really know if that's the right term for it but um I have moments now things like I went out to the supermarket the other day I had to do quite a big like food shop um and I just suddenly was flooded with this sort of feeling of oh my god I've got to go out and I've got to make sure I've got the shopping bags and I've got to um I've got to park in the right place and I've got to remember this and I've got to remember that and my brain just sort of imploded on itself um and it was and I think situations like that, mundane everyday tasks, you know, I, I, I would actually, I think I would quite like to write something about it because it's, it's how you deal with those things. Symptoms are symptoms, but symptoms present in everyday situations, I think. And, you know, you, you could have a hot flush, but you could have a hot flush while you're in the supermarket. You could have a hot flush while you're picking up your child from school. You could have a hot flush while you're in a job interview, you know, <laughs> like you just you have to deal with it in the place that you're in at that time. And there's not much help out there for that particular, for that thing. Um, so yeah, who knows, maybe in a year's time, there'll be a, maybe, you know, maybe I'll presenting a manuscript to a publisher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would yeah. be really interesting, I think. And just having that different viewpoint as well, as mm. opposed to just put a flannel on your face and you're like, well, that's kind of common sense in a way. If you're really hot, you just, whack on a flannel or something but... and also if you're at home that's great but you're not going to just whip out a wet flannel in a job I do see that you sometimes see ladies walking around um with like those handheld portable fans yeah. and I now look at those I used to look at those women and be like oh my god they must be like really menopausal and like oh that's horrible I now look at them and I'm like gosh I envy you <laughs> yeah have you got any advice for listeners who think that they could possibly have like POI at all? And is there like anything you've learned particularly along the way that you think could be helpful to people listening? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is um, go to your doctor. GPs, it's a very difficult situation. And I know a lot of people have this um, you know, if they go and see their GPs for, for mental health problems. And I I can't speak, you know, I'm sort of speaking on behalf of lots of people and I you know I, that's I do that quite I'm quite careful about that but um I do know a lot of people who've had you know have gone to their GP for women's health issues or you know mental health problems and have been really brushed up under the carpet um because GPs you know they see everything all day you know they they're not specialists so I think 
my advice would be go and see your GP and have like a list with you take a list with you or take a piece of paper and a pen um I wish I'd done that in my first you know my my first appointment when I or when I got that diagnosis because there was all this information coming at me and um my you know my memory is not bad but I couldn't I couldn't keep it all in you know and I just wish I'd been able to write it down so I think that would be my first bit of advice I think my second bit of advice would be just generally and this is going to sound totally weird and odd but if you're listening to this and you're listening to my story just listen to it but totally ignore it <laughs> because as I said before everybody's different everybody's story is different um and it's it's a very sort of like social media 2021 phrase but just like just you do you you know everybody's different um so listen and take in but don't sort of don't take it on if that makes any sense yeah yeah no, definitely is there anything else as well that you'd like to discuss that we haven't so far? I think I would say the I, the whole sort of idea of fertility and infertility um, is such a huge issue um, for a lot of people, not just people who've had, you know, the um, menopause diagnosis at any age, but for everybody who's sort of going through that fertility and infertility issue. Um, I would just, I think... I think people just need to be aware and I think I think the taboo needs to be broken slightly of talking out about things like this um, and not breaking the taboo in the sense of like um, you know everybody has to scream and shout about it you know but the, the choice is there if you want to talk mm. and you know just just be aware of everybody in their situations definitely and try not to play to the misconceptions. Yeah, I think that's I why. Think that's one of the reasons we started this podcast really is to break all of those taboos and to allow people to sort of tell their stories and talk about hidden illnesses, which people obviously can't see. So they can't always understand. Like if you see someone in a wheelchair, you think, oh, OK, like that's a disability. But often with hidden disabilities, people just don't have that understanding or awareness and they just think, oh, but yeah, yeah. I think um yeah, I think I actually, <laughs> I was slightly in two minds about whether to do this or not, because the menopause is, you know, um, it's totally natural and every woman's going to go through it. So there was a part of me that thought, well, it's not really a disability and it's not really a hidden illness. Like it's just something that's so natural. Yeah. But I think um, for a lot of people, the disability is not in the physical the physical thing that you're going through it's in the mental the mental things that come out of that um so you know the anxiety my you know anxiety paranoia you know i my i have sort of slight paranoia that's come on with all of this and that yeah that i find really difficult but that is not that i class as the hidden illness not the menopause itself and i think that's quite an important thing to sort of stress you know just because you don't think something is a is an illness think about what it's doing to your mind and then reconsider that's so yeah. true because I think a lot of the guests we've had actually like myself personally with my dyslexia and dyspraxia like it really links with my anxiety because of like I think how my brain works 
and other people like have spoken about their anxiety and their depression and it's almost like something you just have to get on with because you think oh well like that's just life in a sense but I don't know it's it's a weird one isn't it it is a very weird one yeah something that is seen to be natural I think um people just brush it under the carpet and they're like oh yeah that's not really don't really need to talk about that you know don't really need to consider that as a sort of something that's holding me back whereas actually it you know it might well be not because of what it is but because of what it's doing to you yeah exactly so finally are there any sort of charities you want to mention or anywhere that you've received like really good support or information from that you'd like to sort of give a shout out to at all um yeah I'd love to shout out to something called the Daisy Network um and the Daisy Network is a sort of support group that's been set up for people who um are going through the premature menopause um or who have been through it and it there's sort of you know there's discussion threads on there you can ring up you can message like online um for advice if you think it's something that you're going through or if you're going through it and you need a bit of help they are really really wonderful on there so yeah the daisy network definitely check it out and we'll um include links to other places where you can get help as well as we always do in the information section of the podcast when it goes up so check that out if you want some more information or support at all but thank you very much for joining me today Claire I feel like I've learned a lot about this whole condition and also like the impact it can have upon people as well so thank you for sharing your story with us on disability thank you very much this is the disability podcast